Hello world, this is SpartyCast. Welcome to SpartyCast, brought to you by the Social and Psychological Research on Technology Interaction Effects Lab. I am the director of the Sparty Lab at Michigan State University, Robbie Rattan, and I'm excited to present episode 21. 21 is a great number. It is the age at which I started drinking in moderation. And I also know that the 21st element is scandium. Did you know that? I didn't know it until I just looked up, but it's appropriate because today's guest is Andrea Stevenson Wan. Dr. Wan is a prof at Cornell and scandium uh, relates because she scans people in VR. Okay, that's a stretch. I'm so sorry, but her lab is amazing. It is the virtual embodiment lab at Cornell and she does really interesting work, but that's not all. For a limited time only, or well, maybe not. Um, step right up. Uh, you can listen to her not only describe her research, but also connect her research to a movie that she holds near and dear, Pacific Rim, in which there are avatars, or maybe not. We debate it in the episode. Um, they're mechs. They call them Jaegers in the movie. Big fighting machines within which there are two pilots kind of controlling the arms and the legs and fighting the monsters. So I think it's a very interesting approach to thinking about research. Thanks again to Jack for suggesting that we do something different with the podcast and actually appeal across and beyond uh, research into areas of entertainment and fun media. So without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome, Andrea. I'm so happy to have you on SpartyCast. How are you? Where are you? I'm good. I'm in Ithaca, New York, and I'm very happy to be join- joining you in the ether, I guess. The ether of um, of Zoom, though one day I'd love yeah. to have you come visit the actual lab. I've seen your yeah. lab. It's amazing, full of VR equipment and other tech. Currently sort of being reconstructed, so we're looking forward to being back in person, fingers crossed. Um, in the fall. So doing some prep work, trying to um, move everything out of everyone's houses and back into uh, uh, onto the university. Yes. Um, although it's called the virtual embodiment lab, I guess you need some, some physical embodiment. <laughs> it does make it hard to do everything remote. So we have definitely had to pivot pretty hard the past couple of years. Uh, you know, we've got, gotten some uh, cool research going, but yes, considering that the key aspect of our research is uh, getting people physically into the lab and tracking what they do and changing what they uh, see and hear, it will be nice to be able to get those bodies back. Yeah, absolutely. So um, normally this podcast, ha- or well, previously this podcast has been a journey through the research and academic history of my my research professor guests, or we talk about the work uh, that people are doing if they're not professors. Um, but with you, as you know, we're gonna you're the guinea pig. We're gonna shift and uh, do a little bit of pop culture analysis. Uh, we're gonna analyze Pacific Rim and and the, the mechs, or I guess the Jaegers as they call them. Um, yeah. Yes. Before we do that, though, uh, let's let's spend a little time getting some background on you, Andrea. Can you give us the elevator bio, please? 
Okay, so short bio, um, I'm uh, an assistant professor in the Department of Communication at Cornell University, uh, where I run the virtual embodiment lab. Uh, and before that, um, I was at uh, Stanford working in the virtual human interaction lab with um, Jeremy Balenson as my advisor. And um, during this whole period, I've been lucky enough to work with mostly immersive virtual reality and look at how changing the way people see their actions represented through media can change their um, understanding of themselves or the people they're talking to, or even their understandings of sort of the bigger environment around them. So, so what are some uh, of those changes that you might um, manipulate in a study, just for an example? So one example that's pretty relevant to uh, Pacific Rim and one reason why I love that movie so much is um, I'm really interested in the idea of novel embodiment, which is the idea that people can learn to control um, avatars that uh, differ from the normal human template. So we're pretty used to seeing most people have a, a couple of arms and a couple of legs. Um, but Jaron Lanier, um, who is one of the pioneers of uh, virtual reality, um, came up with this concept called homuncular flexibility that essentially homuncular flexibility what a homuncular name. flexibility yeah well it is it's it's a mouthful right which is why sometimes i default to novel avatars but essentially uh, the reason why he used that term is because he wanted to um highlight the way that these changes um, in embodiment that so controlling an avatar that for example flipped arms and legs or mirrored the left side to the left side to the right side he wanted to highlight how that could actually change um, the way our bodies are mapped in our brain so he used that term homuncular flexibility to refer to the motor and somatosensory homunculi in the brain pinfields homunculi um, for uh, those of you who took that in sort of a anatomy or physiology physiology class. So that has some cool practical implications um, because doing this kind of um, remapping has been proposed to be helpful for people uh, with stroke, with phantom limb, limb pain, um, complex regional pain. So this remapping idea is one that has been used in medicine. But um, when Jaron talked about it, and in my uh, work, we've also looked at, at uh, more I don't know, I wanna say bizarre um, embodiment conditions. And one of my uh, favorite papers that I got to do as a PhD student and we've um, since built on was one where we looked to see if how, if and how rapidly people could adapt to these novel avatars and if they could use these novel avatars to do better in, a, in an embodied task um, than they could in their regular human template. And so when I say that um, we flipped um, arms and legs and we also gave people a third arm that came out of their chest. So you can see why when Pacific Rim, advertisements for Pacific Rim hit the theaters, it was immediately like, we have to go see this. I took um, some of my cohort uh, to see it in the theater when it came out. I forgot to look up what year it came out, but I was definitely in graduate school. Um, and even though the movie is, um, I would say, not rigorously scientific, um, it still <laughs> echoes a lot of the things uh, that I think we're interested in when we think about avatar embodiment. Do any of the mechs have third arms? Yes, they do. There is a three-armed, uh, and, and I'm going to go ahead and call them Jaegers in honor of the actual film. Sure. And tragically, that team gets very little screen time. I, and I recall this. Are we, spoil I, are we doing spoilers? Uh, let's do spoilers. We'll, we'll let's make, do spoilers. Make the earth spoiler is not alert. destroyed. The Jaegers triumph, but they do kill off the three-armed team very um, 
early in the movie, which is is very sad for me. So I was very I, sorry. Yeah, I remember it. So I, 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 in preparation for this, I watched summaries and I watched little pieces, but I didn't um, watch the whole thing. So it, the summary skipped them. That's kind of lame. Uh, the three-armed mech. So how did they control it in the movie? In the movie, so in the movie, and we, maybe we can just recap um, why the method of control was interesting. In the movie, the proposal was there are a number of sort of ideas that you just have to accept, like the idea that a biped robot would be the best way to, to uh, fight monsters instead of a scary dog robot, um, and that the world would pull together to fight a common threat, which is something that uh, was confidently stated in the movie, and we've seen kind of fall apart in recent days. Uh, but if we accept that the world will put all the resources together to build a giant ro robot, the movie then proposes that this, this robot would somehow be too big or too complicated uh, for just one person to control. And so you would need two people to control it, and one would control, that's very vague about this, but one, one would control the left hemisphere and one would control the right hemisphere. The way the movie presents this is one does the right hand and one does the left hand. We know it's a little bit more complicated with the actual hemispheres of the brain, but they just do a binary split down the middle of the robot. Um, and so in the movie, they use, they use two people that have some sort of a emotional bond or link, so siblings or whatever. Um, and they, and for the three-armed robot, they had triplets with the idea that this would, these would be three uh, humans that would have sort of a unique uh, bond that they could use to control uh, the third arm. But again, there's a there's wasted a name, opportunity. There's a name for it um, with multiple people controlling the same, like the, the horse costume in Halloween. What's that called? Well, in avatars, sometimes it's called many to one. So when we think about how avatar control, is that the term you were thinking of? I think, so. I mean, certainly that's the concept, um, but I thought there was a defined term, almost like homuncular flexibility, but a noun for a oh, thing that is being controlled, but I, I, I don't recall it. The terms I've always used in the context of avatars are many to one, where you have many operators providing input to one entity, or you could have the, and the opposite is of course, one to many, where you have uh, one person that's somehow controlling multiple entities that are distinct in some way. Uh, and it, but it's much more common, as you know, is that you have a, a one to one person to avatar relationship uh, where my actions are, um, linked to the behavior of the avat of one avatar that's representing me in a virtual space. Have you studied, have you studied many to one at all? That it's a super interesting uh, concept. We don't have any current um, work on on that, but um, it's something that I've always wanted to uh, to dig into. Um, and one of the things that's, that the movie proposes that I think is really interesting. So I did rewatch the whole thing. I've probably seen this movie 50 times because when it came out, I had small children and we decided that this was okay for small children to watch because they like monsters and they like robots. So, um, so we watched it all the time. Um, but I watched it again last night. And what I, I thought about this time that I hadn't thought about in a while is the movie proposes that not only does um, mutually controlling a Jaeger at robot avatar mech thing. Not only does that require a high level of um, coordination that might uh, build on existing social bonds, but it can also augment those social bonds, right? So it's like, we're friends. It's like, we're 
drift compatible as the movie says so maybe we could control this avatar together uh, but the movie does some hand wavy stuff about how then we would be in each other's brains and then we would be even better pals it's like we really feel like wow i really know robbie because we've controlled this you know ridiculous uh machine together um so and i think that that is very interesting if we think about this idea uh, that mutual control of an avatar could lead to um greater you know like improving an interpersonal um, collaboration i can imagine that from the context of other war machines driving a tank mm -hmm. flying mm -hmm. a, a fighter jet a lot of these devices do require more than one person right so and, mm -hmm. and i imagine the bonding that's the social bonding is very high in those teams but is it higher than it would be in any other team context where they're not controlling a single entity together well a lot of the work on synchrony would suggest yes right because we know that teams so teams have to synchronize their behavior to an extent but one of the ways you get teams to work together better is to um, give them synchronous things to do like marching and step or singing together or dancing. So these are all things where you're required to coordinate your behavior with other people. And one of the things that that is supposed to do is to sort of to build rapport um, and, co and coordination. And so, and what, so I'm also very interested in um, interpersonal synchrony and along uh, a number of dimensions. And so uh, I would argue that because what the um, Jaegers are doing, walking around, throwing punches, pulling out giant swords, um, ripping monsters throats out that generally requires coordination of the left and right side so and that frequently is happening in a synchronized manner so if you're making some you know monstrous robot walk then maybe it's a little bit like dancing or marching totally makes sense totally makes sense um here's another question is it an avatar well it's not representing the user in another world right so in this sense, uh, and this is something that I feel like is very in tune with, with your research, because I know you're really interested in avatars and the way that people project their personality um, into their vehicles and how that is a reflection of identity, but also how um, you're controlling it, right? So you're extending your actions into this, this driver space. Um, so the way I tend to think about um, avatars is they allow you to, they allow the user uh, to represent themselves in the digital realm. Uh, but as uh, Pacific Rim ridiculously points out, this is not the digital realm. Um, and they actually make that point for us a little bit by pointing out that one of the robots is not digital, it's analog, which is of course completely a ridiculous uh, thing to say, but is my favorite line in the movie. Um, so I would say no, but I would say- What if, that we can... what if the, the, um, the pilots were not there? What if it was yeah. remote? Would that so it easily it? could be, right? And that's one of the big leaps of faith the movie asks us to make is that people need to be physically in there to sort of ride the bicycle that makes the robot move forward. And there's zero reason uh, why you would need to do it this way. So the big question that my family was asking as we were watching the climax of this movie is like, why is this not a remote guided submarine? Why is it a humanoid figure with people inside it falling into a giant rift in the ocean with a nuclear bomb strapped to it? Um, and the, the answer is there's no reason for any of this to happen. Like the So then, yeah, absolutely. So then if we accept that fact that it doesn't matter if they're inside or out of it, then if they were out of it, it would be easier to call an avatar 
because it would well it would be exactly like the original concept of telepresence right so initially when people talked about telepresence that was through robots you're someplace the robot someplace else you act you see the robots actions through cameras um so you're experiencing telepresence you feel as though you're there with the robot that would have been a cooler movie they should have done that so then i would <laughs> well i mean <laughs> the drama the the drama is uh amped by the potential for death right they have it to be is it is can... i mean you know it, it's the movie is both uh, perfect in, in one way and then completely ridiculous in, in other ways but i think that's an um um an interesting um thing to think about too in terms of how people react because there's these very emotional there's a lot of discussion about as in every movie of this kind about people going with their emotions as opposed to going with their logic. And so we could think about, um, I'm really interested in how distal versus proximal interactions change how people think about those interactions. So we could say, it's like, well, would the movie have been shorter because people wouldn't have made the same decisions if they had been uh, operating more in an avatar sense where they were uh, remote um, and operating a, a robot that was um, someplace else where they weren't in physical danger, their buddy wasn't in, in uh, physical danger and they could take a little bit more dispassionate view of the situation. And beat the, the monsters back to their, from whence they came. Uh, more yeah, easily. so this is, science does not um, always improve movies. Sometimes, sometimes uh, interstellar was pretty great though that that one felt scientific to me mm -hmm. but yeah we, we there are no avatars there so we can't talk about that one <laughs> i don't know maybe we could argue there are some but anyway so so if we accept that it's an avatar um let's, let's just pretend yeah let's sure just, let's say we can call it that then does the definition of avatar need to change slightly uh so a, re a representation, the, what the definition I go with is an avatar has to be a representation. So it's not the, it's not the thing it's representing. So mm -hmm. um, technically you and I are looking at avatars right now. We're even hearing avatars right now in a way because we are mediated. If there's we're, media dead, we're absolutely mediated, sure. Um, but but there's little filtering or customization going on. I mean, I certainly have my face filter on so I can look a little less wrinkly and gray haired. Oh, that was a good idea. Uh, <laughs> but that makes it a, a tad bit of an avatar. So it's a representation. Um, and usually to avoid confusion with agents, I say it has to be a representation of a human, but it could also be an AI I think, as long as it's not the AI itself, but what does that even mean? But um, I guess if the AI is housed in some central place, a computer, a server, and then the representation is is somewhere else representing the AI, then that could be the AI's avatar, right? It's a, um, so again, location is going to be important, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that this is actually another huge, interesting research area. Where are agents? Where do they live? Do they live in your phone? Do they live at, you know, in the cloud headquarters? Where do mm -hmm. they, yeah, in the cloud, where do they live? Um, and there's already been cool movies that look at that. Hopefully you'll talk uh, to somebody else about her. Um, we could talk about Tron, right? Where there's just visual representations of agents, uh, but they're in the computer where the agents presumably live. Um, so anyway, so exciting. Um, so, and I've actually totally forgotten the original question. We're calling them avatars. I argue it's really important that whether or not um, the controller is um, remote in some way, 
from the entity. Um, how else can we uh, can we think about this? What if you don't know? What if it's um, Schrodinger's cat's avatar? <laughs> so uh, the you don't know if the the entity is inside of it. Would okay. Well, I mean, social generally like social science research on avatars would suggest that we default to what we know about if we're if we're not sure we would default to. Um, our human-human behavior frequently, right? Um, uncertainty will pull us back from that a little bit. So I guess it, hmm, that I think of that as a continuum, right? When we think about whether or not we believe something is controlled by a person, we think that is really important, but that's a continuum between being, I'm absolutely positive that you're my mom and I know you're not my mom, right? There's a bunch of- uh, Sure room in the middle there and so Certainly. my guess would be that the degree of certainty would uh determine the degree of that you'd be influenced by that yeah yeah um but i think it well it sounds to me like you're referring to whether uh, the perception of whether the avatar is being controlled by a human or a, an agent yeah right yeah um but i i'm also curious about the perception of let's say i'm interacting with a mech um it's it's a robot thing that could have someone inside of it, but it's 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 like a full suit. It's um, the guy from Halo. Why is his name escaping me? Um, Master. Yeah, Master Man. Chief. Yeah. Master Chief. So he's he's about my he's about hu regular human size, and we're just at the grocery store, and he's talking. He's passed the Turing test, so I'm pretty sure this thing's being controlled by human. But I don't know. Is it actually human inside or? Uh, is it is it a fully mechanized um, representation of someone sitting in another building? Do you think that perception would change the way I interact? I interact with the avatar. Of course, we we've, you already mentioned you being inside or not would influence how you um, choose to make risk assessment. But what about the other people? Okay, so uh, let me let me be clear. Are you are you saying that this is on the continuum where you're like you're not completely sure that it's controlled by a person or you're not completely sure where the person that's controlling it is the latter okay um yeah i think people well we know people are influenced by proximity right in all kinds of contexts so people are definitely influenced so i feel like that would be in um attenuated by your uncertainty okay right? so the um, more you think someone's not in inside of it the more you treat it like it's not really them um, I don't know if it would be that direct. It's like there's a lot of ways in which people. So I'm thinking about the work on collaboration where people look at um, collaborating with remote others um, and the way that um, some work has suggested that uh, or a lot of work has suggested that um, collaborations with people who are far away are different from um, collaborations with people that are close by. Right. Um, okay. There's barriers to collaboration when people are far away, even if you're doing um, text to text collaboration. It's going to make a difference to me in a number of ways, whether you're doing texting to the next room or you're texting and oh, texting to Michigan, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. going to make a difference in work teams and things like yeah. that. So I think that that would matter. Um, and I think that um, uncertainty would just add something else to the mix, right? Um, I think, didn't we talk about a study relating to uh, construal level? We were sitting in the Stanford coffee house, the Coho, and you, I think you were involved in a study with 
team collaboration. We have a couple of studies in this area. So here I'll, yeah. I'll do a little pitch. So we did actually end up um, publishing um, a study on um, distance um, that we um, believed might be motivated by construal level. So I'll tell you a little bit about that. So that study was published um, in SPPS, and uh, but it actually worked the opposite of how um, of what we're talking about. So in that study, uh, we manipulated um, social closeness. So whether um, people felt that uh, socially close to a conversational partner, and then we asked them, and these were this was all over text, and then we asked them how far away uh, they perceived that person's location to be. So they knew already that they were talking to somebody remote, and we asked them to estimate the distance to their to their location. And um, the closer and they felt, um, the more socially to the close to that person they felt. So I like you a lot. So I think Michigan's probably pretty close. If you were being kind of standoffish and I didn't really feel like we were clicking, then I would estimate uh, 10,000 miles further away. away. Yeah. So we found that. So we found that initial relationship, just getting people to rate their conversation. And when we manipulated the conversation by having people behave in a warm or cold manner, then we saw we were able to move that distance estimation back and forth. And we actually have a a replication and extension that I'll be talking about um, at AOIR, uh, I actually need to record the video this weekend, uh, where we found um, the same effect, but we found an interesting flip when we talked, when we had people talk uh, to someone that they believed was co-located. So when someone was talking to um, a person who was in the same room, the more they liked them, uh, the further away they pushed their location. So we're not sure if it's a construal level thing or a motivated perception thing. We actually um, want to run uh, more studies to nail that down, but I'm kind of I'm leaning toward the idea that uh, motivated perception explains that push pull a little better, which does not mean that construal factors aren't coming into play. Uh, but those are, uh, and I could talk about this line of work forever. So I'll stop there. But this uh, is so interesting to me. I have never combined that area. I've known about this idea, this theoretical proposition and, and your findings um, for some time, but I've never combined it with an understanding of avatars. But when thinking it's about- key. absolutely key. When you think about it, it's like when you're in a virtual space, where are you? Where are you when you're in virtual? Yeah. Now? Right, so you can manipulate that and make a version of your lab or my lab, or we can meet someplace, you know, like Facebook Spaces, and well, we can't anymore because it's dead. But something like that, the equivalent, an industry space. Where Horizon? is, it? is that the new one? Horizons is a new one. Are we in California? Are we in the United States? Are or if we have a private room, are we wherever we believe um, our um, you know, our private room is, if it's a sure. replication of a physical space. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. So I, I'm and actually collecting data on that perception um, right now as part of a, a bigger project. So hopefully we'll be able to uh, answer that question. Uh, very cool, yeah. Qualitative data. And, and, um, and then to take it another step, I've, I've thought about, I've argued in the Avacar research that we should just call these vehicles avatars as long as there's ambiguity, as long as you're not seeing the person, um, you're seeing the the machine, the representation. Well, it's a representation of self if you don't see the the self. Do you know uh -huh. what I mean? So that's yep. why I could call it an avatar. But I think it's actually it's more nuanced than that. And to this would be a great. It, it would be hard. Could we do a study with a mech? 
<laughs> where, um, if where we, we get, get if we get, well, I, I can think of some great people working with physical robots, but this also ties into the work on telepresence robots too, right? So that's an example of sort of a mech type uh, situation. Um, this may be a little bit easier. Uh, but you wouldn't actually around. ever be in one, right? No. Um, but you really aren't ever in one, right? Like if, if we're uh, working with um, the Pacific Rim prototype, it's like, then we get into the, you know, it's 40 stories tall, yet somehow off, also carried by two helicopters. Um, <laughs> a lot of, lot of technical difficulties there. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but you're in a car. So yep. to some extent, we could use that as, as a metaphor. I'll mull on this. This is very interesting. I've taken mull, a lot of, yeah. mull on this, mull on this. But I, I think uh, it is super cool to think about. Um, but if we go down a research projects rabbit hole, that'll be boring too. Uh, to <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so let's wrap things up with, um, I don't know. Can you give us just some general sci-fi or other media, popular education, sorry, entertainment media recommendations that you find interesting that somehow relate to your research? Okay. Um, I feel like I'm just going to, so everybody's seen the movie Avatar. Avatar is super interesting when we think about the idea um, that you could gain experience about um, someone else, in this case, another culture, by just being embodied in the, a body that looks like one of the members of that culture. We've seen that problematize a lot <laughs> in recent years. And when you go back and look at Avatar from sort of a, a colonial perspective, which, you know, this, I'm not by far, the, I'm the millionth person to mention this, but it's like, it really um, is an interesting movie uh, to watch in that way. Uh, but so Avatar's, kind of a gimme. Um, I'm a big fan of Tron, uh, both the original Tron um, back in 1982 or whenever it came out. Um, and then they remade it. And as I remember, I wasn't, uh, didn't watch that one nearly as many times, but I remember it being basically faithful to the original. But the first Tron where they scan an orange into this kind of quasi internet I think is an amazing film and um, I'll be happy to come back and talk about uh, that one, that one too. So that's um, a great movie. There's tons of um, work on um, avatars and avatar embodiment in science fiction books. I'm trying to, I'm terrible at remembering authors names though. So I'm trying to bring one in off. I'm off sure, of it. I'm sure oh, I do have one more, one more and I'll let you go. So this is actually a really old one. Um, and I bought the entire collected works of Primo um, Levi because he wrote a short story that was about this sort of primitive early idea of virtual reality. So when was totally, it written? Uh, like, like approximately decades ago. Like decades. decades ago. Yeah. So he he died decades ago. So so he wrote that sort of in the second half of his um career as a writer he wrote in general it's like I really love his work he wrote um some really interesting things but he wrote this um short story about um someone using a device that doesn't just record the sensory information of the of the person who's being recorded but it records their sort of movements and or it records their feelings their emotions their like sense of triumph if they do a, a task task well um, 
And uh, he presents it as being this really, this riveting experience that kind of ruins the life of the person um, who starts testing it because it's so engrossing and engaging. It's just irresistible to walk away from these, the series of peak emotional experiences that are recorded. So you can slip in and play back, you know, somebody's, you know, highlights of their life. And so then uh, this person can't return to the, like their mundane life where they're just eating their lunch. Um, and I think that that is, is an interesting story uh, because it links into kind of what we expect. Like when we say, oh, we're gonna be embodied and we're gonna have this mind blowing experience that will change our understanding of the world and give us great insight. And I think that's what we kind of think we're going to have. You know, and we all know that that like we're not there yet with VR. It's like you see, it's like oh, my hands are bigger, um, and I'm in a different, I'm, I'm in a different world. It's like I move differently. We get this experience that still feels pretty profound, but we want it to be, or we expect it to be, um, even more profound than that. And because the just the experience of stepping into an avatar is so. Um, surprising and evocative that we attribute to it some of the power that he talks about in his short story that it would be that it would be giving you access to another mind um, so highly recommend that if somebody wants to go to text although it's really hard to find and i don't know if everybody wants to you know spend all their christmas money on it is it called uh, if this is a man so i had bought his collected works he's very well known for his if this is a man which was as was is a holocaust memoir so he's Fantastic, interesting writer, um, is, was a chemist, worked as a chemist his whole life, um, wrote his uh, memoir about his experiences in Auschwitz and as a, uh, during uh, World War II, and then continued to write both on that topic and on every other topic. I think he's a brilliant writer. I, his, okay. it, I really like his stuff. It's, he's like Talo Calvino, who is kind of a contemporary and just um, writing about many different things, but also just really exploring um, the, you know, sort of science fiction concepts in a really beautiful and evocative way. Okay. Um, very nice. I'll, I'll put the link to his Wikipedia, at least on, on the notes for the episode and uh, links to some of the other things you've mentioned here, including your lab and your Twitter. And I hope that people reach out to you if they're interested in your lab and want to get involved um, or just sure you know, learn, learn from the amazing research you're doing. And this is pretty cool to, to apply that research understanding uh, to this seed of, of Pacific Rim. Absolutely. It's such a good idea, Robbie. So I look forward to the next iteration of this and seeing what your next speaker comes up with. And we'll have to get you out to Ithaca uh, to talk again, whether At virtually, virtually. Or, uh, or physically. I'll so. send my mech and you'll never know if I'm in it. <laughs> that would be probably the most reasonable thing to do. <laughs> Thank you, Andrea. If you like what you heard, please like, follow, download, subscribe, and tell all the peoples, even the mech peoples, even if you don't know they're inside of the mech, tell them. Tell them to like, follow, download, and subscribe, and everything else you can do to connect to our podcast, because they're only going to get better from here. We are definitely going to continue on this path of using a seed for the conversation that relates to some pop culture artifact like a movie like a show like a like a novel even and uh and hopefully it is not only entertaining but also edifying uh, academically because we're connecting real research topics to these science fictional ideas thank you so much to our producers george mcneil and taylor halterman 
And thank you to you, listener, for listening to the Sparty cast and maybe telling a friend or two who might be interested because we need more and more attention to make us feel good about ourselves. <laughs> also, we're doing this uh, for for the public. And so the bigger our public, the more contribution we're making. Hope to see you next time. I will be meeting with another Stanford PhD uh, professor on our next episode, Grace Ahn, who also does VR research. And we are also going to talk about some pop culture media artifact. But that is TBD. See you then. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into SpartyCast. Goodbye, world.